and what God is doing in Exodus chapter 22 is he's continued to give these laws of how they're supposed to govern their, their country. They've never been a country before. This is a brand new people. They've been slaves for hundreds of years. They do not know how to be a country. So God is giving them the basic rules on what he uh, desires for a country that bears his name. Israel is going to be known as the country where God lives, where God loves and, and God's people are. And so since they're going to have his name, they need to understand who he is and, and what he thinks about things. So he is giving these laws that we're going to talk about today to show the people how to love, how to love. And right there, we have a very important principle. Laws are given to people who don't know God yet. Laws are given to people who don't know God yet. And he's giving all these laws to help them understand who he is. But what we're going to see in, in totality today, and the main lesson for today, is that once you come to know God and you are personally connected with him and acquainted with him, the laws are set aside because you understand his heart. So we can know God and be set free from laws, or we can say, I don't know God yet, so I need a lot of laws in my life to help govern me and, and show me what is the right way to go. Okay, that may sound confusing at the beginning, but by the end, I promise there will be more clarity when we think about laws and, and things like that. All right, so the people of Israel did not yet know how to love each other. They barely knew how to tolerate each other. I mean, they were slaves together, and now they're free. Um, don't get me wrong, they were a big family. They were all related. But as you know, sometimes families are a place where we don't feel loved all the time. You guys, does anyone ever had a family that struggled to love each other at certain times? Yeah, but yet we, we know it's the place where we should be loved, but a lot of times we don't feel that love and we don't experience the love, and sometimes we do, and that's wonderful. But sometimes families are filled with anger, bitterness, meanness, and just all kinds of strife. So God, he has to teach this big family, and he's willing to teach this big family, and the laws that we're going to see today, they're going to show them what real loving looks like. All of God's laws show what loving looks like. God requires his people to be loving because he is loving. So obviously his people need to be loving. It makes sense. If he is our God, we should act like him. So he lays this requirement of being loving on all his people. But as we're going to see, they do not keep this requirement. Uh, Israel fails every step of the way to love each other and to love their enemies. And every other type of love that you can imagine that God is telling them to do, they fail to do that. They fail at every point because the law shows us what's good, but we fail because we aren't really good. The law shows us what's right, but we can't keep the law, and Israel couldn't keep the law because they aren't right deep inside, in the heart, where all the, the things of life are, 
in the heart, they were not good. And so no matter how hard they tried to keep these laws, they failed every single time. No matter how much they disciplined themselves to keep every one of these rules, they failed every single time. And I know a lot of people think that Christianity is just trying your best to keep the rules. But as we've studied many times and we're going to reinforce today, that is the opposite of what Christianity is. Christianity is we stink at keeping the rules, so Jesus came to save us. And now we just live in what he did, and he enables us to keep those rules by nature, by transformation, resurrection. We'll see all those things as we look at it. So what is the difference between acting loving and being loving? Israel is going to say, when we get to chapter 24, they're going to say, all these rules, we're going to do it, and they're going to put their best effort into doing it. And sometimes they're going to act like they're doing it, but they're not really doing it. So what's the difference between acting loving and being loving? We can know mentally what loving looks like. And we can try to imitate that. Well, I know I'm supposed to love my wife, so I'm going to try to love my wife. I know I'm supposed to love my kids, so I'm going to act like what I think loving is. Is that really loving? The, so one of these, which is the, the, the acting loving, just is imitating really. But the other, the, the actually being loving, knows in the heart what love is. And so it just acts according to what the heart knows. Now, how did that person come to know in their heart what love is? Anyone got any ideas? From experiencing it, you don't have any ideas. Well, good thing that we're here because we're going to find out. We can learn what love is by experiencing love given to us, showed to us. When we understand and learn about Jesus' love for us, that's the only way our hearts become acquainted with this love. And then we just are, 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 are just transformed by that and we start to act according to it. It's never imitation when Jesus changes your heart first. Does that make sense? We're going we're gonna to hammer that into our hearts today. We're going we're gonna to study it. Um, though, so the, the, the problem is that on the outside, these two people might look the same. That person's going to church. That person's reading their Bible. That person's praying. That person is doing good things. They look the same. So how do we know? Well, we can't. But God says they're very, very different. He says he sees what's going on. Either they're imitating it and they're trying to do it from their own sources, resources, and self, or they're receiving his love and being transformed by it. And it's very different, but they, on the outside, they can look the same. But they couldn't be more different. And if you don't believe me, check this out. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 
verse 3. You guys all know 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's that chapter that talks about love, right? And we're talking about love today, so it's a great place to start. Love, love, love. Oh, love, it's so good. People write this, you know, in their vows. Oh, the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. So I'm going to be patient and kind and never boast and never be mean in my marriage or to anybody because that's the right thing to do. But look what happens when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3. It says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And we could have read many verses in that verse, in that, in that section. It would have, These sound like loving things. What do you mean? If I give all my goods to the poor, that is loving, right? Paul says, not so fast. Not so fast. Because you can do loving things, and it can be a complete waste of your time. Though I give my body to be burned, that sounds loving. There is nothing more loving than if a man gives his life for his friends. So I can know if I say, I give my body to be burned for you, that that means I'm loving. And God says, no. No, it doesn't. What? What? Aren't I loving if I do these things? What if I give tithes to the church? What if I give more than you? What if I give my whole life? It's got to count for something. Doesn't that mean I'm loving? No. If you aren't actually loving from the heart, it's a waste, Paul says. So that's the problem we have today. We've become so familiar with all of these laws, like the laws we're going to talk about today. We live in a culture that ex- generally accepts all these laws as being righteous and good. And so we've implemented many of these laws into our own judicial system today. So we, we're very familiar with these laws. And so we all know how to act loving, but very few of us actually are loving from the heart. I mean, all of you guys are, but in general as a society... And it's very hard to tell from the outside. Although we see a, a few dead giveaways, and we're going we're gonna to focus on the dead giveaways today because the dead giveaway is pride and humility. That's the dead giveaway. That's the only thing we have that can determine whether we are loving by imitation or loving because of tr- a true work of Jesus in our heart. Now, don't you want to have your life matter for something? You know, you're given all this time to love your wife and love your kids. Don't you want it to be for real? Of course we do. So we're going to look at these these tests that God gives us of humility and faith. I want you guys to remember that this principle that we always talk about, that God gives grace to the humble. 50 Jesus points for all of you. Good job. But he opposes the proud, right? So there we have the test. There we have the key to helping understand whether we are loving from our own resources, which is going to be prideful, or we're loving from God's spirit, which is going to be nothing but humility, okay? All right, so let's look at some verses throughout the scriptures 
about this love and let's test ourselves as we go through some of these scriptures. Leviticus 19, verse 18. Uh, This is a verse that says, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So, there's the command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who, do you, who did you think said that? Well, I, I think most people would have thought that was Jesus. Because that sounds like a very Jesus-y thing to say. Right? In fact, Jesus does say it. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But Jesus didn't just make up love. He's God, and God was speaking to them in Leviticus, and, and God gave them clearly that this is the command of the law Love your neighbor as yourself. So we're testing ourselves. So pride would say, yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. I can do that. Let's go. I agree that it's right, and I'm going to give my best to get it done. Love my neighbor as myself. What is God's response to pride? He, he turns away from it. He pushes his hand out. He pushes you away from him. He opposes pride. So God's going to oppose your efforts to love. He's not going to bless it because of the pride. You will get no rewards, no help, and experience none of God's favor if you say, love your neighbor? Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. But a lot of times I hear churches saying, what are we going to do? Love people. When are we going to do it? Now. Who's going to help us? No one. We're going to do it. Right? It's a big motivational speech. Whereas humility, humility is a different response. Humility says, love my neighbor as myself. I don't do that. And I don't want to, really. They're a bunch of goobers. Have you met my neighbors? I don't even like my family. Humility agrees, yeah, it's right to love my neighbors as myself. It's right to love, well, we'll get to that later, enemies. But I'm going to need help. I'm going to need help. Because I can't love you the way you deserve to be loved, the way God is calling me to love. I can't do that. And God looks at that attitude and he says, oh, I love that. You're acknowledging your need that you are not righteous and you're looking to me for help and I am going to pour out help called grace. And then you will be able to love. How about that? So the law, love your neighbor as yourself, that's a law. It revealed to us our heart. We either had pride and said, yeah, I can do that. It's the right thing to do, and I'm going to do it. I'll show you all how to be a Christian. I'll show you now. I've been a Christian forever. I know how this is done. Versus humility, love your neighbor as yourself. That is a high and holy command, and I cannot do it. So God, just be merciful to me, a sinner, and help me. Did, did you see the test? How did that test go in your heart? Don't say it out loud, because we're going to do it five more times. All right, look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. 
I'm going to read it to you guys, 543 through 46. You have heard, Jesus is Jesus talking, and he says, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. And, if, and do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same? Who, who really loves people who are mean to them? If we are honest, not us. Nobody. Jesus, you're talking crazy talk. Love our enemies? How are they ever going to learn to stop being our enemies? Why does Jesus give us something that's impossible to do? Love our enemies? Well, pride says, all right, let's do it. I heard the command, and I'm going to get down to business. Let's go. I agree that it's right, and I'm going to give my best to get it done. But God opposes the proud, right? So he's going to oppose the efforts. He's going to give no help and no favor. And when your enemies mean to you and you're giving your best, what's going to happen? You're going to burn out. You're going to give up. And what's actually going to come out is like sarcasm or not really truly love but it's going to be meanness. You're going to be bitter that you have to do this. You're going to be angry at God's laws and God's commands. You're going to think, why would God make me do something that's impossible? Right? Whereas humility says, I don't love my neighbor as myself. I don't love my enemy. If I'm ever going to love, I'm going to need God to change my heart and give me some sort of power to love. Again, this law revealed our heart. Do you love your enemies? Here's the command. Love your enemies. That's what reveals our heart. <gasps> yeah, let's do it. Pride. Or that's crazy. Impossible. So God, you're going to have to help me. And I'm going to look to you to help me. Both of them agree with God. No one's up here saying, no, it's wrong to love your enemies. None of you are saying that. But we go different directions to try to accomplish it. Let's look at another verse, Matthew 22, verse 35. Matthew twenty-two thirty-five. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Loving God more and loving people more are commandments of the law. And if you hear the, the voice in your head, love God more, love people more, you got to be more loving, you got to be love God more, you got to love people more, you're doing a, 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 a dumb job loving God. You, your problem is you don't love God enough. What you're hearing in your voice is law or were you hearing in your ears, in your heart, in your mind, is law. Jesus came to bring grace. 
So once the law does its work of showing us that we can't do it, then we look to Jesus in his grace fulfills us and, and, and fills us with an ability to actually keep that law. Again, this command is love God and love others. We have it repeated here. Pride says, yeah, I can do it. I can do it. Let's go. Let's do it. But God's going to oppose those efforts. What, you think you can just love me? Let me ask you a question. Do you love God? Hmm, I, see, I see some confidence, and then I see some, eh, and then I see some, eh. Let me add one. Do you love God the way he deserves to be loved? Okay, so let's simplify it. Do you love God? Mm. Well, if you're going to qualify it by like being really good love, like he deserves, no, I don't. I don't love God. Well, does that, does that eliminate you from being a Christian? Who loves God the way he deserves? Nobody except Jesus, right? We can't. So why are we stuck on this? Yeah, yeah, I love God, and I just need to love God more in order to accomplish all of his will. That is not true. It's his love for us that encompasses grace and being a Christian. What he did for you on the cross is he loved you. He gave his life for you. He provided all the grace you will need. And he says, oh, you'll love me. It's, it's okay. I know that you'll love me. I'll perfect that love as we go through time. And when you arrive in heaven, don't worry. You're going to experience love. And I'm going to get the love I need, I want. But understand, this is not about you loving me more. That's not what being a Christian is. And if it was, then it, it would be a law. In fact, it is a law. They asked Jesus, what's the greatest law? And he said, love God. Love others. That's law. It's legalism. Jesus just said it is legalism. So why do we get so hung up on our performance by legalism? You are never going to love God enough to be accepted by him. And that's not even the goal. He loves you enough to accept you. How wonderful is his love? Isn't it great to get our eyes off of our uh, failing to perform and onto his wonderful success, onto his wonderful love? It is just amazing. Pride says, yeah, I can love God. I need to love God more. Let's love God, people, and let's love other people while we're at it. And God opposes that pride, but humility says, I don't love my neighbors myself, honestly, but I still agree it's the right thing to do. But I really need help to love God and to love other people. The law revealed our heart. Are we humble or are we prideful? Only you really can sense the answer to that. What did it reveal about you? Let's do another one. Romans 13, 8. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, like all the ones we're going to read in a minute, they're all summed up in this one saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Loving is perfect. It's all God requires of man, love. Pride says, yeah, let's love. I can do it. I agree. It's right. And God opposes the pride. Not the desire to love, the pride that thinks you can do it. Whereas humility says, I don't love my neighbor. I don't love the way he wants me to. I need help, but I still agree it's right. I need his help, though. I need his grace if I'm ever going to love the way... The law reveals our heart. Love one another. Let's do another one. Galatians 5.13. Galatians says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Serve one another. For the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Serving one another is a very loving thing to do. And he says, it fulfills the law. Again, pride says, yeah, let's serve one another. Let's do it more. I can serve you. Because it's the right thing to do. Oh, I can do it. And God is going to oppose your efforts because you're doing it apart from him. Whereas humility says, I don't serve the way people deserve. I don't serve God the way he deserves. Although I know it's right, I am going to need help. We're going to find out where that help comes from before the end of today. So hang in there with me. The law, again, the command to serve one another reveals our heart. Are we humble or are we prideful? James chapter 2, verse 8 says, if you fulfill the royal law, according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. Same story, guys. Yeah, the royal law, I can do it. Pride, God opposes it. But God gives grace to the humble. His power invades the humble heart and, and recreates it and pours into it a fountain of real love, of royal love, it's called, where they act like, like God's family, a royal family that really loves. Why? Not because they agreed it was the right thing to do and not because they put forth their best effort, but because they simply humbled themselves and said, I can't do that. And I need you. And I fix my eyes upon you, Jesus. One more verse before we get to our text. Luke 6, 27. But I say it to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer him the other also. To him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask for them back. Does anyone else think that they can do this? We can't. We, we fail at this. But his command, 
Jesus commands us to love our neighbors and love our enemies, love everybody, and it's a test. It's a test. He's testing us. Will you reject his work and all that he's going to do for you on the cross in pride, and I can do this, I don't need anything, or are you going to receive what Jesus does on your behalf, that he acts this way, not you, and then we're actually changed by his grace. It's a test, these commands. When you're walking through the New Testament or the Old Testament and you see a command, do this, do this, I want you guys to understand it's a test. It's a test. The law is a test. And I don't want you to say, I can do that. Or I need to try harder to do that. Because when that is, that it's just pride. It's a, it's a feeding ground. Like when bacteria just grows in a Petri dish because they create the ideal conditions for bacteria to grow. That's what happens when we see a law and instantly we think, I need to do that to make God happy. If you do it, will you make God happy? No, you're not going to make God happy, even if you do it. Because he said, remember 1 Corinthians, even if you give your body to be burned, but you have not love, it's pointless. It's worthless. So there's our introduction. <laughs> yeah, let's, so we're going to look now at the laws that we have. We're going to just kind of cruise through them with a few comments on this chapter, with a few things, and then we're going to hit it at the end with the main point and part of our, our lesson here. It says, Exodus chapter 22, verse 1, If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So there is the exchange rate between sheep and oxes, five to one and four to one. So you have to figure out that. Just kidding. It's, it sounds loving, right? If you don't steal, check. That's loving. Um, if, you, if you steal, restitution. You pay them back extra. That's the loving thing to do. So God teaching his people what the loving thing to do is. Verse 2. If the thief is found breaking in and he, and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. If the sun rise, has risen on him, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. And he shall make full restitution. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. So here, God says, self-defense is okay. If you're, if you're at home at night, someone's breaking in, and you're like, what's going on? Boom, and you kill them. That's okay. But if it's light out, and that means you had other options, like run away or do something else, he says, if you kill them, you're, you're guilty of murder. Very interesting, the way God defines self-defense he means if there's any other option at all. And to him, just being light out is another option. So take that for what it is. God, so basically he's saying you've got to love thieves too. You can't just say that they're not worth anything the moment they decide to steal. Okay? Verse 4, if, a theft is certainly found, if, if the theft is certainly found alive in his hand, whether it's an ox, donkey, or sheep, he shall restore double. So he says loving, the loving thing to do, guys, is to pay back double if you steal. Verse 5, if a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed and lets loose his animal and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. So love is surrendering your best 
when you've made a mistake that causes someone else to lose money. He's saying, if, hey, we make a mistake, I get it, but love that person and give them the best of what you have to make up for it. Go above and beyond. That's God teaching his people what love is. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that, the, so, so that stacked grain, standing grain, or the field is consumed, he who kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. So love pays back even when it's an accident. Oh, I didn't mean to run over you with my car. Okay, great. But you still need to love that person and make up for your mistake, all right? Verse 7, if a man delivers his neighbor money or articles to keep and it is stolen out of the man's house, if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges to see whether he has put his hand into his neighbor's goods. So God will provide a way to tell the truth. He, he can find out. Somehow he's going to give judges and they're going to be able to do an investigation. And God says, you can't be sneaky with me. I will find out the truth. Look at verse 9. For any kind of trespass, whether it concerns an ox or a donkey or a sheep or clothing or any kind of lost thing which another claims to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges and whomever the judges condemn shall pay double to his neighbor. See, God always finds out the truth. You never get away with it. We're going to find out how this happens much later. He is called the Urim and the Thummim, which are basically the high priest has these uh, two rocks in his pouch, and, if, and he pulls one out and it says, who's guilty? And God says, I, I'm going to be able to tell you guys who's guilty by this Urim and the Thummim stuff. We'll see that later. You're not going to get away with it, God says. If a man delivers to his neighbor a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or an animal to keep, and it dies, is hurt, or is driven away, no one seeing it, then the oath of the Lord shall be between them both, and he, that he has not put his hand into his neighbor's goods. And the owner shall accept that, and he shall not make it good. But if, in fact, it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to the owner of it. If it is torn to pieces by a beast, then he shall bring it as evidence, and he shall not make good uh, uh, what was torn. And if a man borrows anything from his neighbor, and it becomes injured or dies, the owner of it not being with it, he shall surely make it good. If the owner was with it, he shall not make it good, for it was hired, and it came for its hire. So, simplify all that by saying, love each other when you're borrowing each other's stuff. Be loving. No matter what happens, love each other. People are more important than things. Don't let a friendship end because you borrowed something, broke it, and you don't want to make it right. God says, just love them. Verse 16. If a man entices a virgin who is betrothed, not betrothed and lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. He says, here love is not driven by lust. Only um, we have to love. Before, uh, love is the opposite of lust, is what I'm trying to say. He says, if you make a mistake in lust, it doesn't get you off the hook. You still have to love that person because you basically ruined their life. You've made them not a virgin anymore, and back then that meant that that woman was worthless. So he says you have to pay her the price like she was getting married. Verse 17, if the father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the bride price of virgins. If her dad thinks you're an idiot, 
and he's mad at you and he won't even let you marry her, then you still have to pay because you've ruined her life and that was not a loving thing to do. Guys, so guess what this created, uh, what environment this created in Israel? One that valued marriage, valued commitments, because God was watching out for them. And the law said, got to take care of people. Uh, Verse 18, you shall not permit a sorceress to live. Not a witch, I'm your wife. Can I tell you a fake story? So Dana and I went, were invited to this wedding. And Dana was like, we're on our way there. And Dana's like, you, gotta, you sitting down? I'm like, yeah, we're driving. She says, okay, well, don't be mad. I'm like, why? She says, well, this is a Wiccan wedding. And I said, what? This is crazy. And, and she's like, well, we're, we're going to go and we're going to love these people. And I was like, oh, you're always right, honey. So we get there, and, and, and it's so, you know, close to a Christian wedding. You know, it's like the bread of the earth and, and the wine of the grape, you know. And then they bite off a chicken head, but it's so close, you know, to, to, being, a, to being a Christian wedding, but not really that close, I guess. And, and so the, the, the priestess or whatever stands up and says, does anyone have a reason why, why these two should not be married. So I stood up and said, she's a witch, burn her! And um, that, that didn't go well. So, you know, we're being escorted out. And, and, uh, but I, I at least I went and got the gift that I had on the table, which was a broom, which worked out well, but I didn't want him to have it. So anyway. You can ask us about that story later. Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> That was a fake story, right? You heard me say fake? Okay. <laughs> These were people who were committed to serving other gods. That's why they were called sorcerers. They, they had contact with demons, and, and, uh, and they, they had this communion with demons, and, and God says that is very, very bad. They also had a commitment to potions, which was um, uh, drugs. So they liked drugs, and they liked demons, and God says that's not going to happen in my country, so kill them. That's the right thing to do. Verse 19. Whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. We're going to pass right along that one. Verse 20. He who sacrifices to any god except the Lord only shall, sure, shall be utterly destroyed. God's saying, this is my family. You guys are my family now. I'm adopting you. We love each other. You and me, and you're going to love each other. That's, the, that's what's going on here. No other gods are included in this arrangement. You're not to be involved with any other gods. You don't need to show them that you love them. You don't need to try to please them. It's me and you, and we are a family, so reject every other sacrifice to every other god. Understand? It's not allowed. Verse 21, You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress them, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. He's saying here, this is how you treat immigrants and people who, from other countries who want to come live in your country. You treat them kindly, lovingly. Verse 22, you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. You need to love people who can't pay you back. Widows had no resources, but God says you got to love them and take care of them. Orphans had no resources, but God says you got to love them and take care of them. Always. 
If you afflict any of them in any way and they cry to me, I will surely hear their cry, God says. And my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. And your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. God says, I'm watching how you treat the weak. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, then you shall not be like the money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest. In other words, he says, we're helping each other out here. We're not trying to make money because we're about love. We're loving each other. Verse 26, if you take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. He's saying, don't be a stickler for getting paid back. Loving is more important. People are more important than things. Every time I'm watching, God says. Verse 27, for that is his only covering and it is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? It might be his only blanket. It will be that when he cries out to me, I will hear for I am gracious. Wow. God says I'm watching and I'm love and I'm gracious and being loving is more important than being right being paid back. And I am gracious, guys. I want you to know who I am. I forgive debts. I forgive. And when you get to know me, you are going to understand my grace. Remember what I said at the very beginning, that laws are for people who don't know God? Laws are for people. Legalism is for people who don't know God. Period. How can you say that? I thought God's laws were to be lifted high. They are, but living by them is not what God calls us to do. He wants us to know him. He says here, this law is so that you can know how gracious I am, my personality, who I am, that I love forgiving, that I love loving. I always will love. And 1 Peter, 2 Peter 3.16 says, grow in the grace of, and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When we see the laws, we learn about the laws, and we're convicted of our inability to keep the law, then we're starting to learn who God is, and we can be empowered by his grace, which is the same as knowing him. That's how this works. I will hear, for I am gracious. The point of these laws is so you get to know who I am. You shall not revile God nor curse the ruler of your people. He's saying, respect authority, love them, don't be an anti, uh, anarchist just for fun. It's not okay. Verse 29, you shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce and your juices, the firstborn of your sons, and you shall give, you shall give to me. Likewise, you shall do with the oxen and your sheep, and it shall be with its mother for seven days, and on the eighth day you shall give it to me. He's saying, remember, this nation is about me. You are serving me. You wouldn't exist if I didn't save you and I hadn't redeemed you and I hadn't created you from Abraham's old loins. I made you. You're, you're supernaturally existent and it's because of me. And this is all about me. And then he says in verse 31, you shall be holy men to me. You shall not eat meat torn by beasts of the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. So God says, I don't want you eating roadkill because you're my precious people and I will provide better for you than roadkill. God says, I love you so much, you will never have to eat roadkill. 
But you may think in your mind, well, I remember some stories where the people of Israel got so poor and had to go through famines and, and they were eating cow dung. That's how bad it got at certain times. They were eating their children. How does that compute with God saying, I am going to love you so much, you're going to always have what you need to eat. Well, God says, if you reject me and you go after these other gods and you don't, we don't, you don't receive my love, then I will discipline you. And all of those famines were discipline. Every single one of them. So what do we do with all these rules? Well, we acknowledge them. And they're all right. But I think we've learned that we need to now test ourselves. Do you think you can do all these rules? Yes, pride, God rejects you. Ah, no, I'm not that loving, so I need God's grace. He will accept you. So let me ask you this question. What if we do all these things? What if we keep this chapter totally and we kill all the sorceresses we meet? You know, what what if we do that, right? Obviously, we're we're not even in Israel, so that's an impossible situation. But does it mean that we're loving if we keep this chapter does it mean you got to figure it out if you, if you keep this law, these laws? And the answer is no. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, the most important chapter of love. He says, although I bestow all my goods, this chapter only says, well, like double what you stole. You know, if you steal an ox, it's like five. If you steal a sheep, it's like four, whatever the conversion chart is. He, no, he says, What if I just bestow all my goods to feed the poor and then give my body to be burned, he says in 1 Corinthians 13, but if I have not love, it profits me nothing. You guys remember Mary and Martha? And they're sitting with Jesus. And and, and, well, they weren't sitting with Jesus. Martha was busy serving, right? And Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus was just hanging out and, and Martha was really stressed out about doing all the right things. And she's really super like, oh, I got to make sure this is in this place and this is right. And, and she was very, very worried. And I want to ask, does that describe your life as a Christian? Are you busy doing stuff? Or like Martha or like Mary Are we just sitting in his presence, receiving his love, receiving his ministry, receiving his washing of feet and his blood pouring out? Is that our focus or is it on all the stuff we need to do? There's one or the other. You're one or you're the other, or you're like, I don't care. I'm not even a Christian. So one of those three, I guess, is what we are. Or remember John 15. John 15, I'll just read it to you guys. John 15, verse 5. 4 and 5. He says, Abide in me, working super duper hard, doing all kinds of stuff, and trying your best to keep all the rules. Oh, wait, sorry, I was reading the wrong page. He says, Abide in me. Abide just means remain. Sit there. Do nothing. 
abide in me, and I in you. I like that. I like sitting. I like hanging out. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. It's no coincidence that it's called the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. When it's works, it's of the flesh. When you're like, I need to do this, that's of the flesh. When it's fruits of the Spirit, it's just who you are. So our, our title of this sermon was, was the difference between loving actions, works of the flesh, and being loving fruits of the Spirit. One is Martha, works of the flesh. Got to get it done. Got to work hard. Got to do my best. Yeah, I can do it. I agree with all those laws and I'm going to get them done. And the other is Mary. I am a horrible sinner. I was possessed by seven demons. I'm a, I'm a goofball. But I'm just going to sit here and let God love me. I'm going to abide in him and let his spirit produce the fruits. All right, we're done. That's it. Amen? All right, let's sing a song. Would you guys stand up with me? Oh, this, this was a picture of abiding. They're abiding in the pickle juice. And they become very delicious by simply doing nothing except sitting here. And I will consume them and enjoy them and be glorified. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me of that. Well, Father, we want to come into your presence and, and just rejoice in all that Jesus Christ has done for us. I thank you for these laws, and, and we agree that they are just great. Every single one of them is awesome, and we thank you for how perfect you are in all your ways. And we pray that our heart would learn to uh, rejoice and, and accept all your laws, but at the same time, that we would be humble, that we would acknowledge our need for you, and Lord God, we want, we want to just receive your ministry now. We want to be Mary, just sitting at the feet of Jesus and uh, letting you just show us how much you love us. God, it's such a privilege to be one of your children and, and, um, and just receive your ministry. When we're grieving, you are there to wipe every tear. When we're happy, you rejoice with us. And, and God, we pray that uh, we would just stop more often and, and, and smell the roses of your, your fragrance. And we'd spend that time just giving, uh, giving you all our hearts, receiving your love, opening our hearts for your love to pour in. And Lord, we know that the, the natural consequences of that is that we will be more loving and your law will not seem difficult or a burden at all. For your very life will flow out of us. And I pray for each person here, if there's anything that we're holding back from you, that we are closing our heart off from you, I pray that we would open it up right now and we would surrender fully to, the, to your love. Because if we have not love, we have nothing. So I pray that this time of communion would just uh, really symbolize the love that you're pouring into our heart, that your body was broken because of your love, that your blood was poured out and into us uh, by your love. We love you, Lord.
because you first loved us. And all God's children said, Amen.